Don't let the noise bury the lead. I'm your host, Tom Frank. Join me on Into Focus as K-Global brings you one smart take on a major communication story from the week that was. We read between the lines so you don't have to and unpack the strategy or lack thereof behind the news. Take five. Ask not what AI can do for you. Ask what you can with AI. Move aside muggles at HBO Max. We want to see what Wes Anderson can do with Harry Potter. And now we can, thanks to the exquisite power of AI. After falling down the rabbit hole of West-inspired reimaginings, we started to gather our favorite and least favorite examples of how AI is pushing our creative limits. With me today are two outstanding members of my content and creative team, Ian Cunningham, a senior strategist and our resident tech guru, and one of our newest team members, director of all things digital, Das Rios. So fellas, today's episode is going to be a little different because it is just so wide open. Every day we see another use of AI. But let's kind of structure it like this. There is certainly some good, some bad, and some questionable uses of AI that most people have seen. And to be honest with you, I'm not always sure the difference between good, bad, and questionable in the least. Let's start with this idea of merging two concepts as Harry Potter and Wes Anderson, right? It's fun, but does it have any power beyond pure entertainment or should we not care about anything but that? It's not just the Wes Anderson remake, but there were there was like reimagining if uh, Jim Henson did Star Wars or um, uh, like Villeneuve did uh, some detective thing, whatever. I mean, it's there's a few of these that are in these styles, and for the most part, for the average consumer, this is kind of fun reimagining stuff. It's very benign. Um, on a practical level, if you're a concept designer working on you know productions, t- television, movies, that kind of thing this is like almost a, a little bit of a game changer for the speed and detail that you can get out of storyboarding something out. So it's a positive for, for at least from a storyboard perspective. Certainly from a, uh, a storyboard thing. And then for like an audience consumption thing, the sort of moral difficulty of it comes from, you know, if you're saying I'm going to do reimagine one set of uh, art in the style of another artist, the original artist needs to have already a defined style for the program to mimic and where is the program getting that stylistic input it's scraping it from you know already well-known sources and this is where you get a lot of this controversy of art being stolen to feed ai now if you're producing a movie you're doing your storyboards and all of a sudden you're producing your set to design that is in essence designed by another artist is that right well, I mean, and this is where, again, another le- level of difficulty comes into this, where you have a lot of artists who have spent their years, their their, their whole careers uh, as uh, concept designers, storyboard artists, you know, that kind of thing. They're out of a job now, or it's reduced, you've reduced a department of 20 down to like two, uh, which is, hmm. I guess, fine from a bottom line perspective, but from people who are talented artists who need careers, uh, this is where it gets very difficult. I feel like if you're a smaller shop, then it makes sense to do something like that, right? Because you maybe don't have the the finances to have a full team. But to your point, then you are eliminating opportunities for people. So it's kind of like it's it's a I feel like it's a catch twenty two, right? In some places, it's beneficial. Like I think when you're thinking about mock ups and things like that, right? The speed of getting things done quicker. But then people are losing jobs, and you're losing that human touch point, which I think is what makes things like movies and art more. Um, you know, you kind of need that human connection with some of those pieces, right? Like it's not just 
writing a script of something or, or putting together a story, it's like really tapping into people. So I think you, you lose that human connection when you are in some of these spaces with AI, you know? Yeah. And this isn't new. The, uh, I have friends who work for production houses in, you know, Hollywood and stuff. And, you know, you have a big house like ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, who were famous for Star Wars with set design, things like that. And then they started using uh, digital sets. So most of the stuff is filmed on blue screen, green screen, whatever. And then uh, the CG artists take over from the set designers. Now I have friends who work on both sides of that. And there are, I've got friends who are really good at carving up foam board to look like real rocks. And uh, that's a skill. But then there's also my friends who are really good CG artists who can craft a background that you just do not know is fake. Again, where does the art lie? Who do we favor in this? I think, Doss, you say, uh, it really kind of depends contextually on the size of the uh, production house in many ways. But isn't it also the evolution of skill set? Because in some ways you're not, you're taking away jobs, but you're in some ways adding other jobs, right? Because to create that rock in a digital format still takes a lot of time. You still have to be a, a certain creative and a certain person to even think of the prompting to get to that point, Right. And for those curious, I did look into this. And if you log into midjourney.com and you use the prompt portrait of insert name in the style of Wes Anderson, that's how you can start to kind of create some of these or whatever artist that that happens to be. There's a lot of good postings out there, by the way, if you're just entertained by that. Oh, yeah. There's endless rabbit holes you can dive down to see all the variations of your favorite movies. So I, I did stumble across something I could have used 10 years ago. So a bedtime story generator, right? I, as, as a parent of a lot of kids, I can remember constantly making up stories that would interject my kids' names into the stories so that they would actually pay attention. So to me, this is kind of interesting, but it, again, is it a good or a bad thing? Because imagine how easy it is to now write a class essay, an article, a book. Das, I know you teach. Has this had any impact on anything that, that you're doing at this point or for education in general? No, not yet. We definitely, you know, we were checking out ChatGPT just to see if our students were using it to like, you know, we had a, a in-class exercise about writing copy for paid social or for organic social. And so we were, my colleague and I were playing around with it while we were in the class and our students were working and because she was like, I'm just curious if when they start coming back and we are hearing them share their examples, will it seem like it's AI generated? Mm -hmm. And luckily it wasn't because I, I don't think, at least our class, they weren't thinking in that realm. They were very much so just focused on the, the task at hand. But my colleague was also using it for her business and was just trying to write copy for her website and asked ChatGPT to essentially scan her website and write copy in like Gen Z language, but from her husband's perspective. Hmm. So she's white, her husband is black. And when it produced the copy, it used a lot of uh, AAVE and like so at the end of the at the end of the statement, it was like holler at your boy, and she was sent it to me, and she was like, "This is really weird. It comes across a little racist yeah. because, like, how do they know that he speaks that way, right? This is just because it's, it's black generalizations, yeah, exactly. And so it's like when I when she brought that up when we were talking about it, I'm like, okay, I I've used it for research purposes, like, you know, just to kind of maybe get me started, but I'm still going in and verifying everything because of situations and nuances like that mm -hmm. still need someone to actually do like a QA and a to make sure what the AI is spitting out is exactly what you need and uh, isn't really missing the mark because it still is machine learning and it's learning mm -hmm. consistently. So it's not at the best place necessarily at that given time. It's continuously updating, you know? 
Yeah, and we're seeing this in like the legal realm where um, uh, legal offices are starting to put out documents, basic documents, you know, like uh, uh, rental contracts, things like that written by AI. At the same time, it's like, do I really want to trust that everything in this 20 page document that no one ever really reads is written completely correctly? So, you know, from a legal perspective, and I'm not a lawyer, but I have friends who are lawyers and they kind of are playing with this being like, you still need to have somebody who can parse the language. So I think this comes down again to what we touched on earlier, where you can have a shop of 20 people now reduced to two. Uh, it becomes a labor-saving device, but what it's doing is it's sort of reclassifying your method of labor for how you exactly. used to do your yeah. job. Now, what I think is even scarier, though, is now when we start introducing generated content to recognizable voices, mm-hmm. or or whether they're speaking or singing. I mean, a great example, there's a couple of great examples. I mean, Bad Bunny and Rihanna. I mean, there's been a ton of them. And the music industry already has it hard enough. This is where I think it starts going that fine line between when content is generated, there's no necessary plagiarism there. It just might not be accurate. But now when we're starting talking about taking that content and putting it to somebody's voice, that's where right. this this scary line begins, right? As an older example, you know, you have uh, uh, sort of adaptive work or creative work parody is a good one weird al yankovic is a great mm-hmm. example because he plays the song but he makes up new lyrics and so therefore it's transformative uh it's legally allowed and weird al has been on the record as saying that uh he usually gets the permission for him, uh, from a given artist before he copies them and you know makes a parody song of theirs but in this instance uh you have like a couple artists coming out and saying i'll split the revenue 50 50 with you if you use my voice or a a, uh, a simulation of my voice and that's an interesting gray area that I don't think anybody has a solid answer for how that can really work just yet. Other than that, I do know there are voiceover artists who specialize in imitating certain famous people. And they're what they're called is the backup voice for like, let's say Morgan Freeman. I actually know the guy who is Morgan Freeman stand in. Um, Like if they can't get Morgan Freeman, he does it really good. It's not supposed to be an official one. It's more like, the same style. The same style and whatever. So it's not like he's passing himself off as Morgan Freeman. It's just more like, hey, look, I'm so good at imitating his voice uh, that people will use him as like a voice imitation. But now this is an instance when you can almost perfectly copy a given artist. And then some of the artists are saying like, yeah, I don't mind if you use my voice, just give me a cut. And in many ways, I think that's absolutely fair. But the problem is when they don't give you the cut, right? I mean, because if you're just using a voice generator to somewhat be like that person, but not necessarily be that person, that's where the the blurry line. And then, so this just came out yesterday uh, at the time of this recording yesterday was um, a judge in one of Elon Musk's current case. The the defense has tried to say that uh, the audio recording of Musk saying certain things was AI faked. And the judge said, oh, no, you don't. Uh, this is, um, you're not saying that. You are not going to uh, use that excuse now because it's very obvious that that is not the case here. And you can't just now have a blanket cover of ignorance in a legal sense by just simply saying, oh, that was AI generated. The judge is not going to put that precedent down. They're saying we're going to stop this right here before it even starts. Because if the judge allowed that, then you'd have every other possible defamation case or whatever would immediately, the AI defense would be the first thing to go to. Well, speaking of bad and going even further down this hole. So there's a recent uh, story that a charity used AI generated images of children to ask for donations. So on one hand, 
I got to ask, if you can't find an actual photo of a hungry child, how can I believe that my donation is actually going to be used to feed them? On the other hand, and what the charity said was that, you know, they're using every fund they can to help these children. And many of them are super vulnerable anyway. So this was a better solution for less time, for less money to get something out faster to help these children. I think with that there, like, again, it's a charity. It's a, it's a nonprofit, right? So if you're the goal there really for those kinds of organizations is to really you're tapping into people's emotions and like, that's how you get people to donate and really support a charity. So if you're showing people AI images and, and trying to make a case for it because it was quicker and easier to do, it's kind of like, well, then you're losing that, again, losing that emotional connection, which mm -hmm. is I think part of the piece with AI, especially if you're talking about a charity, like I'm not going to be drawn to donate to uh, fake images uh, and give money to what I'm feeling like is fake images, even if they release a statement saying, no, this money is going to all these children in need. It just doesn't, it's not, it's not aligning for me. Right. You know? And it, it very much uh, what you're saying, uh, a manufactured reality, a false reality, but, you know, manufactured uh, to elicit an emotional response from the viewer to have a course of action, i.e. you see these photos, photos in quotations of starving children, and you are using that get donations for a charity. Let's not even discuss how the world of charities is a minefield to start with anyway, uh, about finding legitimacy in there. It's like you have to do a lot of research to find out where you're donating is like truly great. And now you have a layer of non-reality on top of that level of doubt. And it's just, it raises the level of doubt in what you're donating to. Uh, is that a good thing? I was thinking about it too. Levi started using or was talking about using AI generated models mm -hmm. and they got pushback because they were talking, basically their whole case was like, diversity we can get different body types and it's like whoa 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 the point of that is like the point of diversity is not that you create fake diversity like you need to showcase your <laughs> right people, like, fake diversity how easy right. just like, pick out here's the yeah. here's the criteria from my model and boom and right and and done and it's like you know when and you know when you think about it even deeper like these are groups that have not been at the forefront for so long because of what the beauty industry standards are and now you're like hey we're going to talk we're going to promote you but we're going to create you versus actually using real people like it's such a slap in the face no i mean Doss, i i think that's like probably the, the more profound statement out of this is again manufactured reality we can manufacture diversity enough to placate people and you're like that's right. not the point that's not the point, it's not the point right. but it's, it's like the... we, want, we want to be seen but like by actual we want to be seen like we want to be seen we don't want you to create what you think we want us to look like. You know what I'm saying? Every social media um, uh, corporate logo on June 1st, rainbow. <laughs> right. We know how that goes. We know how that I goes. That. I, so. oh, I hate that. We, we should have an, an, an entire episode dedicated to that very subject. Yeah. Because you're faking I'm, diversity. I mean, that's, yeah. that is, I never thought of it like that, but you're right. Yeah. I mean, that is scary. Yeah. Like, yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. I mean, but similar to like June 1st, right? Pride month. I'm going to all these pride events and all these businesses have all these pride flags and logos. And then the end of June, it's like, it's, it's a wash. And it's yeah. like, well, it feels, and it's, it's performative is really what it comes yeah. down to. And so, you know, I'm not one of those people that's digging through all these brands to see, are they gay friendly? Are they gay aligned? You know, are they aligned with LGBTQ? But you see all this performative display for the whole month of June. And you're like, what? You're just trying to make money. And we right. know that. Yep. We know that. hundred percent. But I'd love to go back to the um, sort of created false reality or created reality thing, because we now live in an era where digital literacy, I would say globally, is still very low about how to analyze what you're really seeing. 
Because it's hard and it's only yeah, going to get it's harder. Very hard. And I mean, if you're targeting very well the people who are already receptive to your message and you're giving them, you know, like spoon feeding them created imagery, you basically get them eating out of your hand in a certain way. And a prime example of that, and what scares me very much, is a presidential election that is coming up in 2024, right. where who knows what they're going to use? I mean, there's already been a posted video on YouTube of of uh, you know a beat Biden uh, thing that that shows what the world would look like if Biden is reelected, and it's crazy, and it would scare the hell out of you. And if you're feeding that to someone who's already against the current president, I mean, this yeah. is going to get scary. Yeah. And to Ian's point, if they are lacking that digital literacy and understanding, right, they're just going to eat it up. Yeah. Right. And we we haven't really taught critical thinking as a part of like American curriculum for what, 60, 70 years now. So, I mean, people aren't even questioning what they're seeing or reading for the most part. Uh, and they don't want to. That's the other part. So if you see this video, there's a, there's a good number of people who will see this video, know it's completely fake and still agree with it because they like the message. Yeah. You know? I mean, can you imagine the next year, over the next year and a half, what we're going to see generated from AI for the presidential election? Oh, it's going to be bonkers. I mean, we, we saw uh, you know a couple of weeks ago during Trump's um, uh, indictment, uh, there was this one guy who was, you know, uh, he was, a, I guess, a journalist, uh, but he was creating on mid-journey images of Trump being arrested, and he was posting them as fake, but people were still kind of running with it, uh, kind of like the Pope's puffy jacket, you know, it's like... It stumped the internet for about 30 seconds, and then everyone was just like, ooh, is that like a good idea? Do you think we're going to be smart enough to get ahead of this? I mean, no, you don't? Not I mean, for about this, two is, generations. Is this the, but is this the election that is going to be bonkers because of it, or can we get some type of restriction ahead of it? I don't know what that would be. My, my best prediction, I think it's going to be a bit of a Wild West for this election. What worries me is uh, 2028, when the systems are better, and they've had a decade to mature or the better part of a decade to mature. Because remember, like eight, nine months ago, we we're talking about AI and some of this stuff in theory. And now we've got the possibility that text to video generation in the next like four years or so will actually be really good. It's going to be scary. It is. It's moving so fast. All right, bold predictions. And we could go a lot of different directions here, but let's think about it in the terms of our personal situations, right? We all work in the content and digital spaces. And I think for the most part, there's some good automation of tasks, personalizing content. We can get generation of new ideas, improving results. There, there's a lot of good here. But in your own situation, where do you think AI is either going to help or hurt your job if you had to look towards the future? Help. I think, you know, the way that I've been using it, I think for, as I, I like it as a research type of tool, more like helping to speed up the process for like ideation and things like that. But uh, unless you know, it gets to a point where it is super fine tuned, like Ian's point, like 2028. Yeah, like if there are no actual guidelines, I think that could cause a lot of challenges. Like I think, and I, I almost wonder if it's going to come more so from like businesses or consumers to say like, what are the AI guidelines when I'm working with this business or this organization? Like, how do I know that there's actually people working behind the scenes versus I'm just paying you to, to plug everything in to some type of AI tool and then produce everything that I'm paying you for. So I don't know, but I think I think guidelines are definitely coming down at some point, whether it's from businesses or consumers that are working with agencies or brands to be like, I want to know exactly what you're doing. So that way I'm not feeling like I'm paying for one person to maybe be plugging all this information into a computer and then generating all these different results. It's a great point. And it, it's something that I think as our company, K Global, thinks about 
is getting out there in front of it and publicly making a stance and saying, this is how we are going to use AI and make it fully, I think awareness is the biggest key here. People are aware that we are going to use it for certain functions. Especially with like talking about the election and what kind of content is going to be produced that is fake around that time, right? So I think it, it is going to come down to like organizations having guidelines on how they, best practices, how they're using AI to then instill that trust with whoever they're partnering with. Yeah. Well, um, I'm gonna go with good and bad in many ways. Uh, I'm a photographer, sort of first and foremost in my my career and skill set. And uh, fortunately, my style of photography, which is a little bit more on the documentary side, there's always going to be a need for me in the real world to be there and with a camera and a lens and take photos. I think that that's not really going to go away. The bad side of that is uh, how do you separate stuff that is taken by a legitimate photographer versus stuff that's AI generated, i.e. the um, uh, story of the you know charity with the starving children. That was what was fooling people. Was this is a legitimate thing or is this you know created to you know, for those purposes. Uh, on the other side of it, I have a lot of friends who are um, portraiture and uh, editorial fashion photographers. With AI getting better and better and better about, you know, magazine covers are just going to be generated now. An editor can just now cut his photo staff. And, you know, you say, it's like, give me a image of such and such famous person in the style of Wes Anderson. And the, the computer spits it out. You throw it up on the cover of GQ. You're done. You didn't have to spend, you know, two weeks uh, setting up, you know, set and any Leibowitz type style photography is kind of gone. And that's a little bit sad because I have a lot of friends who do this type of work, do it very well. I respect their work and I like it. And I hate to see them kind of just now marginalized because uh, the bottom line of a given publication uh, just prefers to use the computer instead of them. The kind of scary thing is if you were, if you're a kid coming out of college right now, A, you're one that lived through COVID in college. And now you're coming out to a workforce where kind of our younger staff in a lot of ways of what you guys are saying could be, they got to figure out how they fit into that because they could be replaced very easily with AI generated tools. Or maybe the key is that they have to understand those tools and understand how to leverage them better than anybody else could. As, as, a, as a form of what they could be doing moving forward. Well, yeah, and uh, to that point, I came out of college uh, at the time that newsrooms were being cut into pieces by, you know, just the way the internet was functioning with uh, news reporting. Now, in many ways, online journalism is still a bit of a dumpster fire. And now AI is adding a bit more to that. So I had a lot of friends who studied journalism and then basically came out of college to no jobs. And then they found multimedia publication, you know, being able to write, shoot, edit, do the whole package. And people became multimedia journalists to sort of get by and create a new career, and especially since the internet got faster and better at presenting rich content, that was good. A lot of people did have careers. And now with AI generation, well, you know, people coming out of school now who think they're going to be multimedia journalists are going to have to instead be AI wranglers. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take it a different direction. Maybe I could now work forever and then more importantly, keep my, my salary while sitting at the beach because I'll just send in AI, Tom, to uh, direct the team and just get a report back at the end of the week. Might not be bad. Uh, I, uh, I'm just going to like add in one thing. I, I do urge people, uh, if they're interested in this type of thing, it's dated now. It came out in the year 2000, but there's a documentary by uh, starring William Gibson, the famed sci-fi writer who basically created the word cyberspace and everything that we've kind of built in the digital world since about 1985. And it's called No Maps for These Territories. And that title alone is kind of where we're at. 
Concerns about AI-generated content grow by the minute, but so does its creative potential in the hands of imaginative people or your favorite agency rats. To paraphrase the late President Kennedy, ask not what AI can do for you, ask what you can do with AI. So I say go forth and create, but just use your best judgment and stay away from the pepperoni hugs. Thank you, Ian. Thank you, Doss. If you're curious about the content we discussed today, check out our blog at kglobal.com slash blog for all the links. And please check back next week when my guest is my new AI-generated sidekick, Albert. Sorry, fellas. You're out. <laughs> wow. Please subscribe to Into Focus on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us your take on Instagram at kglobal.com. That's kglobal, D-O-T-C-O-M. And if you like the show, leave us a rating on Apple. Into Focus is brought to you by the good people at K-Global. Unlike traditional marketing agencies that look at consulting, creative, and communications as distinct, K-Global exists at the intersection of all three. The fusion of strategy and creative fuels unexpected solutions and better outcomes. The result is impact on your audience in a new market or over a policy. Learn more at kglobal.com. And until next week, I'm Tom Frank, and thanks for listening. Hey.